0: welcome to the mosh zone episode 81 week 81 volume 81 number fucking 81 hey gone guys how's your week been thank you for tuning in this week's guest is Dylan from gravemind and that will be coming up later in the show so let's get things started with a bit of feedback a bit of questions a bit of what's been going on and this week I heard from Nick through instagram nick shared our episode 56 of frankie from Amuria, and he also gave us a bit of feedback he said thanks for the great podcast bro helps work fly by nick thank you for sharing the episode thank you for discovering the mosh zone stoked that you love what we do and also fucking stoked that it helps work fly by now that you've discovered us There is a lot of guests through our catalogue and also a lot of great guests on the way. Stick with us, dude. Thank you for finding us and thank you for the feedback. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Also heard from Alex through Facebook. Great to hear from you, Alex. And we were just touching base and discussing some future guest ideas Thanks for that feedback, Alex. It's always good to gauge an idea of who you guys want to hear from. What stories do you want from what artists? So we got a nice little list going there. Some already in the works, some not. So thanks for getting in touch, Alex. Always stoked to hear from you, dude. And the last thing that we got this week was a rating through iTunes from Tony Giju. I hope I've pronounced that right, man from canada and he left us a five star rating and he said stoked to find something that now i can dive my teeth into great show great content great questions keep up the good work thank you so much tony thank you for discovering us thank you for the sick fucking rating and review pumped that you found the mosh zone pumped you enjoy what we do and stick with us dude a lot of good things coming." Much love, much respect, much appreciated. There's nothing really else to get into at the start of the show this week except keep those shares coming along. Keep spreading the word about the Mosh Zone, whether it's through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is. Let someone else know that you're getting into the show. It's vital to helping the show get out to more listeners, but also vital to the show growing. We notice it when it happens we're really, really appreciative when it does. The other thing, do like Tony did and give us a rating and a review on iTunes. All of it goes together into an algorithm that helps us get out to more listeners. So if you've got some time this week, if you've got some time today, help us out. Give us a rating and a review. So let's get on to the part of the show we're all tuned into for... So this week's guest is Dylan from Gravemind, an absolute legend from one of the best fucking bands out of Australia. Stoked to finally get him on the show. We had things planned last year, but, you know, schedules didn't go right, all of that jazz, but got him on the show, and what a great time to get him on the show, because Gravemind recently released an album of the year contender in Conduit. so... Great to have Dylan on the show. Really good dude. It was a very relaxed chat. Went for a really nice length and also a great chance to get in to know about the man himself but also the ins and outs of the band and ins and outs of the Australian scene. One of my favourite chats I've had this year. Thank you Dylan for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated dude. That chat with Dylan is coming up now. All right. So, you know, I always start off with kind of the same kind of questions. And it's a bit of a, you know, doesn't have to be a heavy band, but do you remember growing up and an artist or a musician that kind of opened the world of music to you? Was there an early artist that you first discovered that you went, oh shit, music's a thing? And then you deep dived into that artist?
1: That's a really good question. Um I think I remember, because I remember watching Rage when I was a kid and every now and again I'd see like a few videos on T V that kinda of caught my attention. But I was never much of a music fan when I was when I was very young. I think I heard like you heard that song that goes like I can't remember the name of it. It's like if I was blue, if I was green, I would die. It's like a dance song.
0: Uh, is that the that? Uh, Blue Amadi Amadi? Yeah, 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 that yeah. one. Yeah,
1: yeah, that used to. Yeah, used to always like catch my attention. I quite liked that when I was a kid. But um, <laughs> outside of that, the very first band that got me into it was my um, my dad, my stepdad um, Ian. He used to play um, Rage Against the Machine in the car, and he used to say, "He's like, don't tell mum, we're going to listen to some Rage." <laughs> and um, <laughs> we used to listen to the Renegades album, which is like a cover album that um, Rage Against the Machine did. And I remember that, that being the very first time I kind of really, um, took an interest in music and like, um, just really enjoyed it. And I just really, I really enjoyed the, the aggression and when I was watching like Rage Against the Machine play live, they played like, um, I can't remember the name of the DVD, but I think it's like live at the Grand Auditorium or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I think it is.
1: It's a really cool DVD. Um. And I remember seeing that, I remember seeing um, their singer, I think, Zach, um, and just seeing the level of intensity that he had when he played live was like, it just, like, struck a chord. I didn't even, like, I knew I wanted to do music as soon as I saw that DVD and saw how um, passionate he was about the songs he was singing. Because I guess before that, I'd never really seen, I never really seen music as something that you could um, give everything to, I guess, like, the things, even the, the things I'd see on, like, Rage or anything, like, I don't think they really kind of, like, made me go, oh, okay, so... Music can be really important, and um, I know it's quite a um, quite a quite a wrong thing to think.
0: It's quite a jump from that blue. I remember that blue song, and then to jump from that to rage is quite a significant leap. I mean, there's a big difference in that. <laughs> um, you know, so you're hearing rage in the car, and it's a bit of a you know rebellious act. Hearing it, you know, when you're not supposed to. Um, was it the, any en- not apart from the energy and intensity that you were saying you saw in the DVDs, but do you think a bit of it was the rebellious side of thing that drew you in as well?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think with a lot of the things I like now, um, my stepdad got me into, um, same with video games, same with games like Doom and Quake. Um, I remember him when I was young, uh, he basically showed me a whole bunch of things that uh, an eight-year-old shouldn't have seen, just to try and get to know me. He wasn't dad before then, and I think... Um, him trying to be like, oh, check out this game or we'll check out this this song. Um, there was definitely a bit of a rebellious side to it, I think, or at least um, I don't know what the saying is. It's like you know, when, like it's like uh, I can't remember the saying. It's like you know, you, you shouldn't eat the apple from the tree. Yes. Um. Yeah, you know I mean, like the old Adam and Eve. Like you know, the um most forbidden fruit is always sweetest, I guess. Yeah. In yeah. that sense, and I think it just made me pay a bit more attention. I thought, oh, like why. I kind of listened to this. Is it like, is it just the swearing? That's a bit silly. What's what's the music actually about? And um, I think that, that just made me pay a bit more attention to it. And then I realized I really did quite enjoy it.
0: So, you know, going from rage, um, you know, at this age, you know, you said about eight, I think you said. So, I mean, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. What are you doing with your discovery of music? Are you at an age where... Now you're discovering bands like Rage Against Machine. Are you going out of your way to discover music or are you still at an age where music that you're discovering is being given to you like it was with your stepdad?
1: Um, well, I'm the kind of person that when I find something I like, I kind of just like – just, I just listen to Rage. Basically, when I was eight, I only listened to them. I had like basically all their songs and I just listened to them and I'll listen to them until I kind of like got sick of it. Um, <laughs> so I can't really remember – I do remember that the very next time that I found an artist that I felt like, I felt like I discovered like a, a secret, like nobody else knew about it. And I thought, I thought, Oh my God. Like it was, um, my Kimoka romance, the black parade. I remember Whoa. that being on rage when I was a kid and the piano came in. I don't know if you've heard that song.
0: Yeah. It's a classic. It's a classic, yeah.
1: classic, absolute classic. I remember hearing that and I, was, I don't know what was happening, but maybe I was, maybe I was Jesus. Maybe I was sitting there you know playing with toys or something or playing game boy or whatever and i remember just thinking like what the fuck what is this um and really getting drawn into it and i think i saw it a couple more times on rage and i just i, I it it kick-started me i didn't even know how to discover music i didn't i didn't know like you know really that going out and buying a cd of a band was a thing that you did if you like one song mm. but i was like i, I really wanted to, i really wanted to get the album of this band I didn't know any of the other songs I just knew this one song and My Chemical Romance is the first band that really kickstarted my journey for like taking ownership of what I liked really and going out finding the cd getting it finding all the videos finding the back catalogue learning all the lyrics and stuff like that so um, that was the that was the next band went from Rage to My Chemical Romance.
0: So what was the band that really brought you to extreme? because you know anyone that knows grave mind knows the music is not very close to my chemical romance at all. So (laughs) what's, what's the band that really sparked your intensive musical direction?
1: That's funny you say that. Um, so I, I still think my chemical Romance is is definitely inspired grave mind, especially in in terms of like theatrics at least. Mm. Um, but the, it was a quick spiral, really. I think I remember being maybe in high school, first year of high school, and um someone showing me Slipknot, and that me going, "Oh, that's a bit much." Like it's just all screaming. <laughs> and then he said, "Oh, if you don't, if you don't like that, then listen to Disturbed," and he showed me Disturbed, and I went, "Oh, that's that's awesome." um I really got into like the, I don't know, something about Disturbed was just like really uh energetic, and the riffs are really cool, and like back then at least, and. Um, Yeah, I actually I was at I was at a Christian school at the time, and I remember taking it to my um, religion teacher and going, "Is this okay? Like, you know, I know that um, Slipknot's a bit extreme, but is it okay if I listen to Disturbed?" And he went through the lyric book. He's like, "I don't see anything bad in this," and so I thought, like, (laughs) "Oh, jackpot!" (laughs) (laughs)
0: Hang hang on, we we got to come back. We got to come back a bit there. You know, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, were you always at? Church-based schooling. I mean, was this something that was really driven into you at home that this was part of your life that you needed to follow, or was it just by chance that you were going to religious schools?
1: Ah, uh, it's it's I don't know. It's, I, I never went to. I, I basically when I was a kid, when I was like from my like maybe age, like you know, from primary school, I was in a Catholic school with nuns, and mm. that was awful. That that really sucked. That was in um my hometown, Launceston, Tasmania. And then when Mum met my stepdad, um, we moved to Melbourne, and I went to um, like uh, public schools. There was like a there was like a religious aspect to it. But during those years, I was never really like at home. It was never really like pushed to go to church or anything like that. Mum was always, I think even still is, believes in Jesus and God and all the rest of it in like a Christian sense. But when we went back to Tasmania, I think mum really wanted me to get, give me to go to a good school. And one of the good schools was the Christian school. So <laughs> I don't know what, it, what exactly it was. I don't know if she handed up or, um, or what, but it was a very, very intense Christian school. Like they expected you to go to church and, you know, there was, there was like Bible classes and all the rest of it. And I think from there, I don't know, when you're a kid, you are kind of like, you're struggling with moving to high school, but you also just want to fit in and you want to like do the right thing. And I think growing up, I always thought, oh yeah, like, this sounds about right, like Jesus and all the rest of it sounds about right. i'll um I'll definitely try and live my life in like a Christianly way just for this year, mind you. like this was um <laughs> this is like a one year thing. but um what was what was really strange about it was that I was trying to be like a devout Christian. I remember going to my teacher one day and I just I just presented him a question, and it's kind of like that sort of like the crack started to show. I, I basically was like, you know, it said in the Bible that you should only pray to God, but Jesus says, pray to me. So who do I pray to? Instead of being like, instead of giving a straight answer, he's like, "Oh yeah," he's like, "You trouble, eh?" And I was like, "No, I'm not. I'm, I want to know what to do. I want to know what to do. Like, how do I get into heaven, man? You know, give me the fucking blueprint." <laughs> and um, he thought I was being rebellious, and I just thought, "This is a bit. This is a bit fucking strange." And um, I think it's really hard to explain. Like, if you know me now, you, like you wouldn't even slightly take me to be religious, and it's just a really strange thing if you've ever been brought up Christian to try and transition yourself out of that way of thinking. I don't know if it's, if it ever happened to you, but it's like, it's, they always tell you that like the devil's always trying to have a bid for your soul. Basically he's trying mm. to like um, lead you astray. So as you're questioning, as you're kind of trying to think for yourself the entire time you're thinking, oh, is this what the devil wanted? It's really fucked up, and it takes a long time for you to kind of go. As a kid, I guess, or as any kind of um, I don't know, religious zealot, almost, <laughs> to um to wiggle your way out of the, that way of thinking, because it's 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 like a it's like a fucking Chinese finger trap of thinking.
0: It is, and I, I mean, I I've been there as well. And the part of the thing that made me stand up and go, "Well, this doesn't make sense," was everyone kept saying that. You know, when you ask a question to God, God will respond and He'll talk to you. And I'm going, okay, all right. So this is what happens. So I kept asking questions, and everyone's like, "He did he talk back to you?" And I'm like, "No." They're like, "You'll hear the voice." In, they'll hear you'll hear the voice in your head. And I'm thinking, "No, I hear the voice in my head all the time. That's me talking to myself." What the, like, what are you actually going on about? Um, but at school, it's even harder because, as you said, you're trying to find your identity, you're trying to find yourself. So that would have been a bit challenging. And you also said there that some people know, you know, there's a, there was a Tassie connection and then a Melbourne connection. So when all this is going on, um, you've got anyone that knows as well and you've mentioned you had gaming going on, um, you were getting into mm. movies, where were you with, um, your headspace of music when you're coming into the last few years of school? Are you thinking that music is a career or are you seeing that music's just a passion? And I really want to focus on, you know, studying film and television.
1: Yeah. Um, I remember distinctly being in, so in, in Tasmania, so I went from Tassie to Melbourne, back to Tassie again, did the Christian school for a year, then moved from that school, um, to a couple of other schools and ended up at a public school where I met Damon, our guitarist. And those years I also met Aiden, the other guitarist. Um, And Damon and I did music together in the same um, grade 11 and 12 class. And we're doing bands and stuff. And I don't think think there was ever a mentality of, like, band being a career because we didn't actually kind of know anything about how any of it worked, like Mm. how you could even possibly turn a band into a career. We thought maybe if you got famous – and you were like the Devil West Prada or August Burns Red or something, like it just kind of came with it. Like we thought something would just happen magically. We had no idea. So I think back then we were just trying to get shows and, and and have people like us, really have people like want to listen to the music that we were writing. But it was like pretty god-awful music. So <laughs> it was a, a bit of an uphill battle there for a while. Um, and that was a poser, remember- wasn't it? That was a poser, yeah. That was a poser. Uh, first little metalcore band that we had back in Tassie. And there's um, one
0: song still sitting on uh, Triple J Unearthed, I saw.
1: Oh, is there really? Yeah, there's oh. w- there's
0: one song <laughs> still sitting there. You know, still sitting oh, there nicely. I, I didn't see how many listens it's got. You know, I don't know. I don't know how how well you guys listen to it continually. You know, it's pro- if it's got five thousand likes, are four thousand nine hundred coming from you guys?
1: Uh, maybe I'm not too. I can't really remember. Um, you're talking about the poser, right?
0: Yeah, a poser.
2: Maybe.
1: I, we don't. Like, honestly, I I steer clear of all that music. It just it <laughs> makes me like it makes me cringe. It's like really, I kind of explain it. Like, um, it's like trying to hold two magnets together that shouldn't go. And it's just like.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, the thing about that is, you know, looking back on it now, you've also learned probably a lot from that time. Um. Being the, being the first band, a lot of it is about learning from your mistakes. You're probably, you know, do you think at that stage you were you were writing music that you guys necessarily didn't enjoy, or was it just, you know, what was going wrong for you that band?
1: Yeah, well, that's um, that's like a really hard lesson I guess that we learned through reflection and through like a bit of time off from opposer was that I guess we were kind of writing music that we didn't really enjoy, and that's like the biggest biggest flaw that you can make when you're writing music is writing music, hoping someone else will like it when you don't even like it yourself. And I think what's happened since then is that we've all gotten a little bit better at what we're doing. Um, Damon's become a better songwriter. I've actually learned how to scream um, as opposed to just yelling until my voice breaks. And I think when we heard the first Gravemind songs back that were mixed like we loved it. We were like, this is music that we want to listen to. This is really fun. Like this is really cool. And back then the um the goal was just to get shows still. Like it wasn't to wasn't for it to be a career or be what it is now. Back then it was just hopefully we put these out and we can maybe open a slot at Bang Nightclub. Like that was it.
0: Mm-hmm. So you, you I mean you fast forward now, wow. I mean, things have things have definitely changed a little bit. Uh, the goalposts will change yeah. changed now. Um, when Gravemind came about, before then, you mentioned in there your vocals. Um, you look now at your, especially on Conjured, you look at your vocal range and your vocal ability. And it really kind of helps Gravemind stand out above a lot of the other bands in the genre. When you were starting out with your voice... Were you looking into YouTube videos on how to learn, or were you literally doing as you said, there losing your voice? Were you just screaming from passion and anger?
1: Back then, I looked at YouTube for advice, and I just couldn't find anything. Like I I still to this day haven't found one YouTube video that makes me go, "Oh, that's how you scream!" Like that's how you make the noise of a scream doing it safely. So I just basically back then was would listen to bands I liked and tried to emulate them but just couldn't do it I just couldn't work out what the technique was so I just yelled until my voice broke it wasn't really a technique or anything it was just just as loud as you can yell for the 20 minute set and after the set I wouldn't have a voice I couldn't talk to anyone it was like quite it was quite embarrassing I really couldn't do anything after a set (laughs) but then (laughs) what happened after that was I think one day I was just folding laundry and I was listening to hate by The that is murder. Mm. And, um, I was kind of singing along, but then it kind of like, it was like a Eureka moment. I kind of like made this noise and it didn't come from the place it normally came from. It was like that kind of growl. And I was like, Oh, Oh, oh. I was like, Oh my <laughs> God. Like, <laughs> it literally like just stumbled upon it. I don't even know how. And that was the start of beginning to learn technique. Um, from there, basically started to learn what the what techniques were to scream and started trying to emulate bands i liked again and this time i was able to actually do it so i was actually able to make myself sound a bit like cj or a bit um like the highs from the band graves at the time that i was listening to like i was i was able to emulate it um but i think what you mentioned before that now that it, it kind of sounds like it stands out i've stopped trying to emulate other bands and just try to make my own sound. And it. I think it's, I think it's kind of getting there. I think it kind of doesn't sound like much of what I've heard before. Um, yeah, especially in the high range.
0: It definitely does. And especially on, you know, conduit it sounds like you're also willing to experiment and it sounds like you're comfortable in your performance because anyone that's heard the album Um, which I'm surprised if they haven't, you know, when you listen into every song, there's a bit of everything going on. There's the lows, there's the highs, there's some of the kind of almost spoken word-esque moments. There's a bit of kind of melodic clean-esque singing. Um, Is that something for you as a vocalist that you wanted to push yourself to, or is that something that just kind of it presented itself? Okay, we're going to try things here. Like there is quite a risk in yeah. your style of music to take those movements in vocal delivery.
1: Yeah. Well, I think um, it just came from wanting to do the best that I possibly could and, and try and put as much in as I could. That sounded good. So like, I didn't want to put anything in that kind of missed the mark. So it was really important for me to make sure everything that was different, like the spoken words or the clean singing or um, any effects or anything that we used absolutely hit the mark. Um, I think it was like for me, it was the fact that um, we've all heard bands now where it's just low and high screams in a mid range, and that's it for the whole record. And you kind of, your brain kind of switches off, I find. Like Mm -hmm. it's just impossible to kind of really be engaged or even entertained anymore by just like a real simple high, mid, low kind of scream registry. And so I used those like spoken word bits as kind of like a state break to try and if it's something important I'd try and use a spoken word part to kind of draw the attention to the lyrics or if the part in the song needed it needed it like if there was a big ambient section then I would try something I'd just be there sitting to myself just thinking like what can I do now that hasn't really been done that I can do that that sounds genuine that doesn't sound like it's a gimmick but just sounds like it's coming from a real place that's entertaining and that's just kind of where that stuff came from I think
0: Yeah, you can tell. You can tell it's organic. But, I mean, one of the harsh realities of the current music climate is also the possible backlash. Um, It's a weird, weird time in music. You know, I'm in my mid-30s, and I remember when no one really cared how a band progressed. You know, if you enjoyed it, you enjoyed it. If you didn't, you didn't. Um, When you're, you know, putting all these different vocal deliveries on an album, are you at all worried going in that people were going to listen to it and go nah sellouts nah, not my thing or did you not care
1: yeah that's a good question i don't think i really gave it that much thought to be honest as to whether or not people would think it was lame i think to be honest it was more like a, it was like a um i don't know, like a culling process like if you had any issue with um the way i did my vocals or even the lyrics and the songs then like that's that's good. Like, I don't want you to be a fan of my music for the wrong reasons. Mm. If you don't like it because of the spoken word stuff. Awesome. Like, don't like it for that. Like, I think we weren't too concerned about like, I don't know the, the the amount of fans we had based on the fact that we're, we're trying different and weird things. Um, because honestly there's, it's not, it's not as big a scene as it once was. You don't have, I, it's like, I don't know. You can't kind of damn if you do damn, if you don't know lot of ways. like you, like if you want to try and be as cookie cutter as possible to, to to hit the biggest market if that's what your goal is and you kind of have to make that your goal from the start i think rave ones always been a little bit weird a little bit extreme in the fact that i, I think you just kind of with each strong we put out we got more and more confident with pushing the boat out and getting weirder and getting um more and more creative to the point where like we couldn't really go back couldn't we couldn't jump off the boat once we once we pushed it out you know what i mean
0: yeah i think i think that's why you also have such fans and dedicated, you know, fan base over the years is the fact that you guys are willing to take risks and push things to places that they haven't been. Um, And I'll come back to all of that, but, you know, I want to just rewind back to the formation and around the start. Um, Mm -hmm. When you guys formed, you know, you've come over to Melbourne now, um, the band's going, you guys released the first EP, The Hateful One. Now, I've, I'm have i sitting here looking at my copy. And what was that like for you guys when you first released it? Because from memory, if it serves me right, you guys released it and then started doing out some shows. It In my mm-hmm. writing, remember that? It was a different tactic. You guys weren't doing shows and then released
1: an EP yeah we, we did the other way around um I think that back then we had the um we had the mindset that we wanted to have all the pieces on the ball before we put out any music like we wanted to make sure that we had um all the videos all the artwork you know um the website the Facebook, like everything had to be set up ready to go and it had to all hit at once because I think we because in a poser we did the whole big things coming soon Facebook posts where nothing happened for six months at a time. Mm. And we kind of saw how much of a, how big a mistake that was and how that kind of really didn't help your band any. It didn't help you get any more shows. It just kind of made things fizzle. So I think when we had Grey Mum, we're like, well, let's well, just wait. That's just like, we'll put all the music out. Um, we'll release it first. And then hopefully that'll, I think that was just like, hopefully we do a big enough splash that we'll get shows from putting out the music. Um, and it works. I mean, like we had, um, Sabian from our fourth back then. I don't know if you even remember this, maybe even on your copy of the CD or vinyl that you've got, it says last chapter records.
0: Yes. That was his, Um, you were like the only release, weren't you on the,
1: (laughs) So Sabian started his own record label and we were his only band. (laughs) Um, and the, um, he just gave the, the, the last chapter records, YouTube, he just gave me that. Um, and I just changed the name of it so I still use Last Chapter Records, um, to log in <laughs> <laughs> to the YouTube <laughs> for all the Grave Mind stuff that preceded it. Um, but yeah, that Sabian helping us in that way and, and kind of vouching for us because he was an alpha from and he'd already been slogging with those guys to get shows. He got us our first show in Brisbane at a show called Lab Wave, which was mm. like a little mini festival thing, and that was our first show. I think we, we drove. 26 hours straight to get there and then 26 hours straight home, um, which was a bit fucked up. I don't think we'll ever do that again, but you'll live and you'll learn.
0: <laughs>
1: but what was it like for
0: you guys, you know, getting out for shows? Because you're a band in those first few years, and I think still now, you're a smart band when it comes to doing shows or doing mini-leg mini tours. Um mm. Have you always kind of felt like you need to hit the right times at the right markets with the right bill? Or has there ever been a moment where you thought we should just take every gig we're offered?
1: Um, that was a lot, of, a lot of Sabian's help, to be honest. I reckon we would have just taken every single show we possibly could have. Um, but I think Sabian has been like a bit of a mentor to us, and especially in the early years, where he had to go, no, hold on, don't do that, don't do this. Don't take every show you can get and play to... The bands and five payers wait you know and we still made some like we still made i guess you could call them mistakes by playing some pretty whatever shows but we were kind of a whatever band i mean like we had like a bit of internet hype behind us at the time when we came out you know we might have done everything right online but we still had a long way to go to actually being decent performers and having a decent sound and decent gear and um, if you saw us play back at Wrangler, there was probably a good chance we we're still playing on Pod HDS, which sound like shit.
0: Yes, you were. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, yeah. Mm.
1: So um, I, I don't necessarily think we just took everything we possibly could, and mm. I don't necessarily think we we're very smart. We, at the time, we just had a really good mentor, which was which was Sabian, just kind of guiding us through a lot of the, the process. I mean, now now um, we are a lot smarter with shows we take and and shows we do, and we don't tour very often actually compared to other bands that are at a similar level to us they've all like I feel kind of bad they've all slogged across the country so many times but the reality of it is you don't have to do that anymore like the, you can use social media to your advantage to grow your fan base become a bit more sought after and then when you finally do play a show you play better shows it's a better vibe people want to come back the next time because they didn't see you four or five times in the year play to 30 people they saw you twice in the year play to a, a semi-full room even if you're a small band so i guess that w- that's what we're doing now so just trying to be smart with with what shows we take for that reason
0: yeah it, you've hit the nail on the head it's the right move to make you you don't oversaturate your name um but it's also that fine line you don't want to not appear um and you're clearly a band that You know, with the right advice and with learning, you're doing the right thing. That EP, The Hateful One, um, how did that go for you guys? Because I know there was quite a few reviews, and I think it's the thing with reviews. There are a lot of reviews that are just blowing smoke up your ass and some that don't actually Mm -hmm. listen to reviews. Um, Then there was a very infamous one that you guys shared at the time and made a bit of publicity but also were you guys worried that you were getting lumped into that death tag, you know, just another death band from Australia kind of. Situation.
1: Yeah. that's Yeah. It's funny because we never actually um, considered ourselves any more than just another death core band when we put that EP out. I mean, we didn't, well, most like most of the band was from Tassie. I think when we started the fact like we didn't understand how big a pond it was, Mm. And I remember when we were doing the hateful one, we're just kind of like, let's make an EP that's like a homage to like some of our favorite deathcore. Like, and there's not a great deal of deathcore that we actually really like, so it was like a pretty small pool for inspiration that Damon had when he was writing. I think he had Rings of Saturn, as Murder, um, a band from the old days called The Element. Mm-hmm. It was like, let's let's just put out like something that's really good, like try to be really good deathcore and have it just be that like have it not be anything more than that and it was funny that we we're um getting slammed or well, not slammed but like we had that was the main report it was like well this is a lot of this is just more death course just more of the same and um it actually helped us immensely because we took that on board we like looked we we got um feedback that said you know this is like hate 2.0 from artist murder like you know this is nothing special and we went well, oh, fuck, like we better – we better. if we want to keep doing this, we better make it something special. So there was a review, um, which you may have been alluding to before, by a publication – I don't think it's really doing anything anymore, but it was called I Probably Hate Your Band.
0: Yeah, that's the right.
1: one. Um, yeah, that's it. And they gave us – they gave us a, it's like a good review, but it was a dead set honest one. It wasn't a 9 out of 10, you know, didn't actually listen to it. It was a 7 out of 10. And um, what was really funny about that was he, everything he critiqued – we already knew before we put it out, like before we released <laughs> the music, like we, we kind of, and but we, we made the same mistake again, where we went, oh, hopefully no one picks up on this. But the fact of the matter is they always will. Like if you have something, if as an artist or as a musician, if you kind of go on your head, like for me, it was, oh, my low screams on that kind of sounded a bit breathy. Oh, hopefully people don't really notice that. Mm-hmm. Bam. Like paragraph. Yeah. He's lows a week. Should just do highs. It was like, Clear as day, like all your insecurities, on, on <laughs> online. But I mean, that's, and you can either—that's
0: vital. That's it's
1: good. It's vital. Yeah, you can either we well, can either bury your head in the sand and say no, like no, they're wrong, and you can try and really try and to block out the noise of it and keep plodding along and making the same mistakes, or you can take every bit of criticism that you find, um, no matter what format it's in, as like a tool to improve your band and get better and that's I don't know if we consciously made that decision or not or if it was just how we were at the time but we looked at that and went fuck he's right like let's do it better next time I remember just I remember just working on my lows and working on certain aspects that were, were in that review come the next song I was like poof that's fine like you know I felt confident in that we we improved upon the issues of the last review and so yeah like Reviews that are actual, actually um, coherent and actually provide some good information are vital to a band's progression if they actually listen.
0: Yeah, but then the side question of that is, how much do you read that goes up about reviews? Whether (sighs) you know, it's kind of a tightrope here. You know, how much do you read? How much do you ignore? How much Mm. attention do you pay to? Because there's certainly got to get to a point where if you're Reading a lot of bad reviews, whether they're constructive or not, like that one was, mm. it's got to just mm. take a hit to you emotionally and personally.
1: Well, yeah, you're right, and that's that's, um, that's a question um, we've all kind of struggled with a bit. I think a good general rule of thumb is you got to take the good with the bad evenly. Mm-hmm. So if you're lapping up all the good reviews, and let's just say ninety percent of them are really, really you know positive you have to give the same, I think, amount of attention to the bad reviews as well and try and use your own best judgment to cipher how much you should be digesting it either. Um, likewise, if you're gonna get, if you're gonna say, no, nah, fuck all the bad reviews, this is my music, this is how it is, then you kind of have to do the same for anything good. You can't you can't pick and choose mm. um is, is a is a general rule of thumb that I have which i barely barely stick to because you of course you're always going to look at the negative and then hone in on that and think too much of it but the other thing is um there's no worse critic in the world than our own band and there's like there's no more emotional trauma they could put us through that we haven't already put ourselves through over the past four years like we've grown a, we've grown a lot as a band in terms of um lightening up i think because in, in the in the initial initial years. We really did want to kind of break out of like the local scene and i think the only tools we had at our disposal was by being absolutely brutally crushing to one another on anyone's bullshit in the band and um it worked but it came at a bit of an emotional cost back then at least
0: yeah so to say you're you know perfectionist would that be a polite way of saying it
2: yeah yeah
1: it's a very polite way of saying it. it's a, it's, a, it's like a it's like a it's like a glorified or like um romanticized way of saying um, toxic yeah. um, work, working environment back then at least, like it's it's definitely really good now. but uh, at a time when we were not knowing what we were doing wrong and wanting things to progress faster, yeah, it was quite it was quite a, a hard environment to be in at times. So the reviews. If it was a negative review, it was like, yeah, who gives a fuck? Like, yeah, whatever, that's fine. But you need to play the part right. You know, X, Y, Z. Do the, like you know what we're doing to each other was far worse.
0: Well, um, uh, at least now you guys know where you were at, and you can like shape things a bit different. And obviously, being a perfectionist leads to how the career has gone because it seems like since the hateful one every step has been taken, has been, while not only calculated, has been well thought through, the right time and effort has been taken, um, and part of taking time must be because, you know, using the romanticised word, you are perfectionists.
1: Mm, definitely. And I mean, like, that's another thing we're taking with the good with the bad. It's like we, we, we look at the hardship we put ourselves through in those years, but this is like the, we're reaping the fruits of our labor now. Like this is every bit of calculated um, release plan or music or video or website or interview. It's all paying its dividends now. Because like and you know, we've I think we've earned it. I don't think I don't think um any of us in the band feel like we're blowing smoke up each other's ass when we say that we're really happy with how this album's gone and how people have received it and everything. It's just kind of like I don't know. It would have been a really sad story if all of the hard work and effort kind of equaled nothing, mm. but it just, it just feels like some kind of like, I don't know, like it just feels fair. It just feels like the the right reward is met from the right amount of effort. Yeah.
0: Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. So shifting into the le- next few things that the band did was you guys seem to really start switching into being creative for yourself but also for the fan base. Now, in this industry now where, you know, physical things are pretty limited or not really cared about, you guys seem to really switch up gears when you release the the, the death of, is it Tayola? Toyola? How do you say that?
1: Tayolia. Ta-olia. Ta-olia. Yeah.
0: Now, when that came around, when that release was in the process, from that step forward, you know, when you did the vinyl, you did the 15-page comic, you know, it seemed like... You guys were geeking out, but in a good way. You were <laughs> you were doing something that obviously you guys cared about and obviously it was well received by the fans and since then it keeps stepping up and evolving and evolving. But mm. where did the thought behind taking so much time with your releases and with the merchandising and things like this come from? Was it just something you thought you needed to do or was it something about makes you guys a bit different that you do cater to these unique ideas of merchandising and products and releases
1: i don't i don't even know where to start i, I don't know i think what it was back then i think the the comic book was like a byproduct of trying to step up what a lot of deathcore bands bands already doing at the time, which was making concepts.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we're, back then we were really heavily inspired by bands that we're now mates with, which blows my mind from when we started this. Um, I don't know if you have a band called I valiance. Have you heard of them?
0: Oh yeah. I know Mark really well. He used to work at my local red rooster.
1: Oh, no shit. That's yeah. right. Yeah. He works in fast food. He works in fast food. Um, <laughs> So yeah, basically back in the day, they, I remember the, um, primordial ruin EP that Mark, did with the boys um he wrote like a concept story for it and i remember being really inspired by that and thinking oh cool like, you can write stories um in music it doesn't have to be about um anything personal or you know kind of like you know loosely political or whatever because back then didn't really have any like i was just like how about we just write a story and i can put a few things in it that are personal but i can kind of hide it in the story and um i think it was once we did the hateful one that was a narrative like a concept I think we were just like, okay, how do we make it more interesting? Because before then it was just like tech. Like I wrote like a separate little novella kind of thing, like a little wall of text for The Hateful One. I thought, well, how do I step it up from there? I think it was looking at each release that we did as like an opportunity to evolve and try and do better. We thought, okay, we got this far with The Hateful One, which was a music video, a lyric video, um, a little storybook online, and some CDs and vinyl. What do we do next to like step it up? Like, what is the next step? And I think we're kind of like, well, we're doing another story. I remember hearing it's, it came mostly from hearing Damon write the instrumentals. And I remember thinking when I heard it, I was like, this sounds like, this sounds like it's kind of coming from the jungle or something. I was like, this kind of gives me like real jungle vibes. And I was, I was thinking about like people running through the jungle. It was like really visual hearing it. And that's when I sat down and started writing the story um, about um Teolia and writing it. And then I thought, okay, well fuck, this could totally be like a comic book. What what if we did, I think the first um the first idea was to make it a completely animated yeah. short. So like from start to finish, like a like a Dragon Ball Z, like an anime three-minute thing. And I think it we, we looked into it and it was going to cost like, oh geez. I think even just doing that it's like 20 grand or something. <laughs> insane. And so we scaled it back to a comic book. And I remember Damon, because Damon's, Damon's like the yin to my yang with bullshit ideas. I'll have, for every bullshit idea I've had, he'll kind of go, that's not feasible, and it's too expensive, and you're an idiot, don't do that, we'll go bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I remember, I find, it's it's kind of like a dance with him trying to find a midway point. And I think I remember saying, like, if we did a comic book, then we could actually make the comic book merchandise. We can sell the merchandise and we can use the comic book slides for the song and it fits in with the lyrics that I wrote, which are like, you know, perspective, like, you know, the low, the low screens or the perspectives of one character, the high screens, the perspective of Teolia. And um, I think he was just like, shut up, shut up. You, you got me at the point where you said we can make money off this. It's fine. We're not going to go broke. <laughs> He's like, just do it. <laughs> um, and then basically what happened from there is it went really well. Everyone was like, well, this is a brand new idea. This is really fresh. You guys always come up with new ideas. And I think it just kind of cemented the fact that we set a we set a bar and we had to raise it each release. And that's what we've kind of been trying to do every single time we've put out music is look at the release as an opportunity to do better. But every fucking time it comes to release, it's like fuck shit. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> what now? Like how do you how do you top a a fucking box um, you know, hand Handmade box with a lyric sheet That if you plant it in the ground, flowers grow I'm like, what the fuck do I do next? It's um,
0: Yeah, you fucked yourself for the Second album with that box, you know With, you know, the cards And everything and the USB Mm -hmm. And you're fucked Mm -hmm. next release I don't know what you're going to (laughs) do, you're fucked Like,
1: totally and utterly fucked
0: I don't know, you're going to have to, you know, maybe You're going to have to buy, everyone that Pre-orders, it has to be Delivered by a homing pigeon or something I don't know, you're going to have to really (laughs) step up the procedure but that must make it exciting but hell of a fucking stressful experience as well
1: oh yeah i mean the the box that we did for the conduit collector's edition that was a nightmare that was like i don't know that that took more effort than fucking anything we've done before um and it was the most it was like i don't know it was just it just caved my head in like i had to deal with um because there's lots of different elements is the cards so i need an artist for the cards someone to produce the cards the usbs where to buy the usbs from who to make the molds for the usbs who to make the bo- and it was just like email after email to different places in ali like alibaba.com i don't know if you know them yeah. they're like <laughs> a <laughs> just looking for like the cheapest slave labor i could find i'm not even gonna be on the bush it was just like <laughs> who can make this <laughs> for the least humane way possible um uh, what's the because even when we found the cheapest way to make those boxes it still came to just for the box itself i think came to about 35 dollars a unit oh. so yeah dude we sold them for 110 and then you've got the retailer that takes 20 percent. the margins on those were tiny but you were right when you said it's so exciting. Like how giggly I got thinking about all the stuff that was going to be in that box. I was just like, "This is so fucking sick!" Like if you're a nerd like us, which yeah. if you like metal metal music, you probably are a nerd. Sorry. Yeah, it you're is. It's gonna, a
0: reality. It's, it's a reality.
1: That's the reality. That's absolutely a reality. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. We were, yeah.
0: It's also got to be be exciting that with every step you've taken, like the comic and then the kind of unique vinyl that you did with Lifelike and then Conduit, the fans are getting into it. I mean, that – I think there's quite a thing of really pushing the boat out, as you said earlier, and then it not being taken. Like people just go, "Eh, not really. But you guys have put it out there and – people are fucking eating it up. Like they're loving it. And that's what's so exciting is to see that all these little ideas, these new steps you're taking have been accepted and not just accepted, but accepted with wildfire.
1: You're right. It's just, it's when, when we stop to kind of like reflect on it, it's pretty, pretty insane that people really, yeah, you said they take to it like wildfire. They really enjoy it. And we haven't had, I don't think we've had a misstep yet with putting something out that people have gone, eh, which is I don't even know like how that's possible because I even look at I look at so many bands that I really enjoy that write better music than us that do something kind of quirky and it just sits there on the shelf for fucking years months you know like not doing anything so we're really lucky that people have really been eating up what we've been doing but I think it might have something to do with the fact that like we just really enjoy it like mm. like it, we love it and we want it the only reason we did vinyl for the first ep was because michael and i really wanted to own the album on vinyl we're oh, like we that. want to copy ourselves so why don't we pay for 50 <laughs> um like handmade ones that like and they, they were 30 dollars a unit in the end and we sold them for 35 dollars for a, an ep and <laughs> you know, i mean we had to sell 40 of them i think to break even but it was just for the fact that we were but we really wanted it so i think if you if you make something that people that, that you really want, chances are your fans will want it too. Hopefully. Like, I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, you can see they have. I mean, it's, yeah. and when you hear, and as people have heard with the latest album, the debut album, it, I think it helps that the music's backing up. You know, if you guys had stuck with kind of the hateful one and just kept doing that, I don't know if people mm. would stick with you guys because every release has kind of, you see a change. But a question I've got is that Mm. has it been intentional that you guys um, have been adaptive to the way that the musical landscape is? And what I mean by that is Mm. a lot of bands nowadays, you know, yes, you need to be social media savvy, but you also need to give give the fans content. And what I mean by that is always remind them you still exist. So that's new music, maybe Mm. new videos. You look at the way you guys have gone, you had – Hateful One, then the next year there was the single, then there was the following year, Death Gate EP, then the following year, Lifelike, and then this year, the album. Has that been intentional <laughs> that you keep dropping something to keep people's appetites pleased?
1: Uh, no. Like, honestly, it's just that we're, we're just working hard trying to do the next thing, and I, I, I just think it goes in, like, a cycle. We're, we're lucky in the band where um Damon writes all the music, And while he's like, usually while he's doing that process, we might, we might be releasing the previous thing that he's done or very close to, and that takes up a lot of my time doing all the marketing and all the Facebook stuff. So it's kind of in this like little cycle now where we're just, we're just going back and forth and it's just turned out to be that it's a year by year thing where like we just keep having stuff come out. Um. Every single year, and I think um, Damon was—he just pr- brought my attention to the other day, and he goes, "You know, we put something out every year, right?" Mm. I went, mean, "Oh fuck, you're right." And um, I get, and I just—that just feels normal. Like, it doesn't feel like we're rushing anything, and it kind of felt like we took a bit too long with this album, in some respects. Like, obviously, I don't think we did, in hindsight. But like during that period, we're like, "Man, we're really taking our time with this. Fuck, we better hurry up." Um, we had that vibe a lot, but. I just think it's just that's just how we that's just how we work. It just naturally comes to a year by year thing where we've always got new stuff coming out, um, which I've realized isn't actually kind of normal. Like when I look mm-hmm. at a lot of other bands in the scene, um, like our peers, they release music a lot slower and a lot more sporadically, um, and maybe that's due to the fact that maybe they've got the same member in the band writing the music, as they do making the videos or something and maybe like, you know, there's so many different factors as to why it can take a while for music to come out, but we're just kind of lucky in the sense it's been year by year, but it wasn't, yeah, it was never a conscious decision. Like we got to keep everyone entertained. So let's keep going with this. Let's rush something out. We've always just taken our time.
0: Yeah. I, I, I know from what I read and what you guys had said previously that the album took, you know, you, it had been written and recorded for quite a while and it was sitting in the mixing mastering stage for a long time was that down to you guys really nitpicking at things and making sure it was 400% ready before it released or was there just other things that led to it being delayed like the getting the boxes ready for the big collection box and all of that stuff
1: luckily the 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 box didn't really slow anything down it was more that we were looking like we decided we what we needed a label for this record mm. and all the advice for me, because like, you know, going back to when we started and how Sabian helped us so much from learning from him, um, the biggest thing that we've always done and the biggest advice I have for anyone else wanting to do bands is to like have no ego about asking for help and go to anyone and everyone that you can that has done better than you and pick their brain. And, and you're not, generally speaking, if you ask someone, for their help, they're not going to scoff and go no fuck off. They're going to probably be humbled that you even came to them in the first place, um, requesting their advice because it's obviously something that that person's worked hard on themselves to build up a knowledge of all the things and you know all the mistakes and all the good things that they've done in their band. So all the advice we got um, doing this album um, was to make sure we had the album done basically before we shopped it to labels, and so that created such a long space between us having the album done and it coming out because we did really take our time with making sure the album was the best it could be um but it still kind of came together really fast like damon what he did to write the album was he went into the recording space with scotty from alpha wolf and basically didn't take anything in with him like he had he had like 10 demos or maybe even 15 demos and i think he used one of them like parts of one of them on the entire album, and the rest of it he wrote there on the spot mm-hmm. during recording sessions with Scotty. So, And then there wasn't too many changes. It was such a weird organic process where he just spat out songs that were the best he's ever done on the spot. And um, so the process of recording, mixing and mastering didn't take that long. It was just the fact that once we had everything ready, we are like, right, let's go look for a label. And that's what really throughout the process a lot because we were, um, like, you know, you hear so many horror stories of signing to the wrong label and labels fucking you over and all the rest of it. Um, and so we we're just trying to make sure that we did as we do with everything and and not make a, not make a wrong move.
0: Well, you lined up, you're lining up with Grayscale, I think was a very smart move in the end, but you know, signing to a label also nowadays, is not 100% necessary. So, why the determination for linking up with a label and also why Grayscale?
1: Yeah, sure. I'm, I mean, a um, good question. Like, like, and you're totally right. Got, these days, a lot of the times, the things that labels do traditionally, you can do it yourself. And we've done ourselves. We've put out music. We've gone to distributors to make sure our music was in JB Hi Fi. Like, we've ticked every box that. A label could do, but that said, that's how labels, you know, if they're smart and if they have a genuine care for their artists, they evolve as well and provide services that make them worth their their cut. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. it's no longer about just putting the music up on Spotify, and making sure it's in JB and a few posts on social media. It's it's more than that, and I think we were at a point where we needed uh, like a Uh, a personalised relationship with somebody to help us steer the boat into unfamiliar territory. And the truth of the matter is is labels are, in some way, whether intentional or not, a gatekeeper of sorts to pass the glass ceiling. Um, You know, that's not always the case. Obviously, if you're completely independent, um, you can still reach the same levels without a label. I'm definitely not saying it's it's like a, you know, a master key get yourself a label and bam that's success because it, it actually really happens now you need you need like a perfect storm and I think what we were wanting from this release was just the perfect storm of everything marketing wise music wise visual like the whole bank like shebang had to be um, a plus basically every single thing if you're a punter and you looked at our band uh, it had to basically hit the mark as soon as you looked at our band and you had to be able to buy into it with certainty that we were, let's say like a legitimate band putting out music. And one way of doing that is by getting a label. People go, all right, these guys are serious. You know, they're on, a, they're on this label with a bunch of my other favorite bands. They just put out this video. The video is really cool. It's a fucking banger video. The music, yeah, it's really heavy. I've never really heard of music this heavy before. Maybe I'll give it more of a listen. Like, it's just—it was just one more aspect in my mind that we needed to make sure that we had hit the mark on, because it was going to help us create like the perfect storm that we wanted. Um, that's like the—that's like the the reason before going into finding a label, because we didn't really—we still didn't really know a great deal of what labels did. Um, but with the in the in the case of grayscale um those guys are just such down-to-earth dudes um it was so apparent to us that when we went and met with them um for dinner went to trailer park burger and got some burgers um and chatted with them as soon as we walked out of that meeting like all of us were just like yeah like damon first of all he was just like yeah we're signing with them right like that's (laughs) it was like (laughs) <laughs> it was like no discussion it was just like you got the vibe of that didn't you like you guys all got the vibe of that that was sick like that sounds like the kind of people we want to go into business with and we did talk to other labels and you know had different meetings and shopped around and it literally came down to um like advice I got from um, Graham of Resist Records and he said to me he goes look you need to go with who you think you're going to have the best relationship with that's all, that's all it is and I thought, that's great advice. That's a guy that knows a lot more than me. I'm going to listen to that advice. And so when we walked out of that meeting with Greyscale after Burgers and David just went, so a right? It was like, okay, that makes <laughs> a lot of sense.
0: <laughs> well, they, they are, Ash and, and Joshua. you know, anyone in Australia knows that those are not only nice dudes but die-hard music lovers and passionate and deliver everything into what they set their mind to. So it's just natural. It's, mm. it's the right label for an Australian act to get behind and get with, because also Grayscale are going to, you know, they give you a platform, like you said, you know, it's mm. really good. And I think, you know, oh, but I also think you couldn't have gone wrong with resist either. I think two very immense labels, um, down here, um, touch on a couple oh, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. touch on one or two more things about the album, then kind of, you know, a couple other questions and then we'll, wrap things up so you can get back to playing some more Doom or Halo, whatever it is you want to play today. That's good to me, dude, yeah.
2: Um,
0: One thing I wanted to ask, and I discovered it um, through having the physical stuff, is uh, that the way you guys constructed and put the album in order, it feels seamless and it feels natural. Um, Was there a conscious effort for that? And then my other part of the question is, were you worried about the fact that now we're streaming, though, that people don't necessarily listen to an album in order? So all the time you take mm. in constructing an order could end up just being seven hours of stress and anguish when some dude on his phone doesn't really give a shit and he just shuffles the whole thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That's unfortunately how things are at the moment. Um, people you know want a quick fix and they want um, you know they want what they're after and they want it right away and they don't want to wait, um, the way in which the album's constructed, it kind of it kind of caters to both, I think, um, in, in some way. I think, like, um, it we was, it was quite conscious about, like, how we put the songs together and, and, and how it would create a vibe for the album, and there was a bit of back and forth with all of us in the band about what songs are going to be first and, you know, what was going to be last and where everything was going to sit and what song was going to get cut because we did cut a song from it in the end because of, the, that that reason, yeah. But hang on, it's not act, it's
0: not actually cut.
1: Oh yeah, well I guess you've got the um. If you're a physical collector, then you've listened to the very oh, last song. Oh yes.
0: So hang on, anyone <laughs> anyone listening, if you've got the vinyl or you've got the CD, there's something there that you know is not on Spotify.
1: It's that is that is correct.
0: Yeah. Well, hang on. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. Keep going.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. That's a good. That's a, I really forgot. I should probably start um, letting people in on that little secret now, in case they've been sitting there going what what, like you know why is there like a, a minute and a half of silence at the end of- anyway, <laughs> um so yeah we did take a lot of time to try and construct something that um that that had a really good vibe it's it's a two two pronged sword or two twitch i don't know what you call it i'm at euphemisms at the moment um uh the fact that it's the album does start with like your classic like two three punch sort of Um, in your face aggressive like if if you're going for a run or something and or you're going through the the top most listened songs the start of the album will give you what you're after and then kind of comes in the bell curve of hard rain phantom pain and reading steiner which is a more emotional more melodic even more stripped back um, version of grave mind that hasn't been heard before that if you were going to listen to the album from start to finish then that is exactly the kind of experience we wanted you to have we wanted you to have the the energy at the start we wanted you to have the lull and then at the end it's just like um it wraps up with like four of some of the most like some of the most hectic songs we've written some of like the heavier songs some of the most different songs like embrace starting with a drum and then really filthy bass line like it was it that that construction was intentional but um i think it's it's funny in that, yeah, you're right. People don't listen from start to finish anymore. So it's important to, I think it's important to try and create a reason that you would listen from start to finish. Mm, don't yeah. just slap your album together, song by song, and you know, hope for the best, or or load the singles right at the front. Like um, Alf Wolf, like again, they're they're inspiration for a lot of things. Um, Sabian was telling me that they made a conscious effort back in the day with Mono to not just put all the singles right at the start of the album, give people a reason to kind of go through. And listen to the full album and get the full experience out of it so that was the kind of the that was a bit of a a bit of a framework that i went off as well when constructing it was let's try and put some singles a bit further forward like where do they sit and don't be afraid to to load the back end full of bangers as opposed to just chuck them all at the start
0: yeah but there is an absolute banger at the start anyway reveal
1: oh you like that cool
2: Fuck.
0: Man, <laughs> that Oof. that is a spicy, spicy track. that that one is going to go. Uh, have you played that live yet? I know you haven't played many songs. Um, you played Dead of Winter, I think, from yep. the top of my head. Yep. But ha- has that one been birthed into the live scene yet?
1: It's going to be birthed this Saturday at the Greystar oh. Records Showcase, and we can't wait. Like oh. that song. Is such a vibe compared to all the other songs we've, like played off the back catalog. There's just there's something there's something else in that song which is so much fun. Um, I think I think it's that fucking riff that Damon wrote in the middle of the song. It's just I don't know. It just every time I hear it, I'm just like, what the fuck? Who writes that? <laughs> like <it> just don't. Uh... <laughs> that, that that is.
0: <laughs> oof. But you know, as you guys are also seeing, the album is loved by everyone that's kind of getting hold of it. And you guys recently got your results with the Arias. Um, You know, how's it feel with all this time effort that's gone in, the album comes out um, and how people are reacted to it. Is it kind of mind blowing or does it just set a fire in you that goes, okay, we're just, we're just going to roll with this and do even better next time.
1: Oh yeah. Um, It's, it's blown us away to no end. Like in, not even try and be cliche or just say all the, the right words. Like we're like, what I was saying before about like all the hard work paying off. Like it is like, it's paying like all our hopes and dreams of doing music and doing this band for the, you know, for it's all and doing it for the, for doing it for the right reasons and doing it, to try to make it as big and as, as, as impressive as possible. And like, to have people love this album so much it's just absolutely flooring us. like it just it's like day to day i'll just be going to work and i'll just see something shitty happen and then instead of like <laughs> spiraling down i'll kind of just go <laughs> people like our music <laughs> it's <laughs> like a little it's like a get out of jail free card for like <laughs> so many so many things because <laughs> it is it is yeah it's so euphoric um but it, it's really inspiring as well like it's it, it hasn't, I don't know, it hasn't made me feel worried yet that we've reached our peak, do you know what I mean, though like we haven't reached our, like, you know, best album yet. Like, there's still so much on this album that I think we can absolutely knock out of the park on the next one. Um, and I think Damon feels the same way as well because um, that guy has to deal with a lot of expectation and a lot of pressure because he writes all the music. It starts with him, basically. But he's already told me, he's like, look, I'm booked in. I'm going to be going in to see Scotty again really <laughs> soon. You're either there if you want to be or you're, or you're not. Get out of my way. Like, he's he's, he's razzed. Like, this, the reception from this album, it hasn't been a hindrance. It's just, like, it's just got the cogs moving even faster now. So I'm not going to commit to anything, but, yeah, things are looking pretty good.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's exciting also, you know, in the overarching Australian scene to see a band like yourself kind of rise slowly up um and in a way look like you're now a band that i think a lot of australians who like their heavy music if they didn't know about you they they would have heard of you at least um now one last question on this album for me yeah. is in this genre um you know technically i think some people yeah they like to throw tags so i think some people are going to say you're tech tech death core. So you're no longer just death core. You now have something else in front. So, you know, make it a bit more confusing. But what I'm getting <laughs> to is that in this kind of styles of music, uh, lyrics are usually, and I don't want to talk ill of bands that write what they do, but it can be pretty substandard. You know, it's kind of, you know, the message, it is it is what it is. And then there's a breakdown in the last 30 seconds. With this album, yes. lyrically, um, it felt like, for me, listening, that you were really bearing yourself in many ways, and a lot of people have heard Phantom Pain because it was one of the singles, but that's just kind of a prime example. You, Am I right in thinking you've really let it a lot out on this album, and was that something that was cathartic for you? And then the other part of it is were you at all nervous about laying yourself bare on the album
1: um I, yeah definitely it was it was always the intention to write an album that was as honest as can be warts and all um and it was always the intention to try and reach like I don't know. Like, try and reach a level, and try and break through such a a cloud of white noise of just same, same, by doing something that felt genuine. That people, if they heard, I would hope, would go, "Fuck this! Yeah, this is this guy means what he says. This band is really, really pushing the boat out as far as message is concerned. As far as, um." But yeah, as far as catharticism is concerned, because those songs are this album's really really cathartic for me and for some of the guys in the band as well, depending on what song it is. Um, in that I'm yeah, it's I'm lucky to be able to have a platform on which I can express some of the I don't know the most the darkest experiences I've had, or we've had, or we've shared in a way that I you hear. Know, it resolves positively on the listener. Like, you know, I've I've re- especially in, in in terms of phantom pain. I've had a lot of people message me saying that um they couldn't believe how how much it felt like it was they were like, you know, that someone else had gone through the same thing, that it wasn't a one-off case and that, that it was surprising to them that, you know, in this climate and in this scene of heavy bands that a heavy band like us that writes core music with breakdowns and blast beats and riffs and everything would take it to a place like we did on this album. And I think I'm really, if there's anything I am proud of, it's the fact that we did bear all and we did take the opportunity. And it, for me, it goes back to listening to Rage Against the Machine with dad and watching that DVD, like watching Zach talk about things that were really important to him with such veracity that I feel like I've satisfied even like my earliest of dreams as a musician to write something that was something I was extremely passionate about. Something that really meant something to me that wasn't just a story. It wasn't just um, euphemisms hiding a deeper meaning. It was just like, here's, here is what this album's about. Here is all of the ugly things that we feel and it's okay and basically being it's okay to feel that way it's it's okay to to have questions without answers and i think the the goal of it being um a conduit as such to things that you can't really explain or can't really talk about um kind of came true in the end with that album i'm really happy about it
0: i think it's really refreshing man and you can you can hear it in the lyrics, you know, as Phantom Pain as an example. It, it is quite refreshing to have these kind of stories and things that are very upfront and it's kind of this is what it is. Like you said, not hidden behind metaphors or other, you know, things. Not that there's anything wrong with those, but, you know, in this style it is rare to have a song like Phantom Pain in your face saying, this is it, this is the message. Um, so it's refreshing. Um, and I think that's why so many people also are probably connecting with the album also is the fact that it is so raw, emotive, and personal. Um, so one last question before we kind of wrap things. <laughs> up I've held you held you over time. Um, Did't mean to. Um, it's just been, <laughs> that's very, good. It's been good fun. Yeah, it's very easy, easy chat. Um, and there's kind of little segments to this question, but it's about the Australian scene. Um, and where it is at the moment I'm you know a little little bit older and I remember the scene kind of really thriving for a while there was a lot of bands a lot of venues um, and it felt like everyone kind of gave it a go being in a band now it seems like whether I'm right or wrong I'm not sure so I want to ask you is there a thriving music scene do you think or do you think the community and the scene is kind of struggling and not sure what to do with itself
1: that's a really good question um the the scene that you referred to that you remember i was never a part of growing up because that heyday i guess of where the bands like prom queen and like when parkway was starting out and like the litter of so many bands in the scene where they play shows to packed out rooms you know like the Red Shore days like you know that was a bit before my time but I heard stories I've heard every you know um you know mosh lord gatekeeper whatever you know (laughs) tell tell me time and time again of like a golden era um but that's just um that's just what happens when something, like, blows up and becomes a trend and becomes popular. You're going to have this huge influx. like. Very true. I'm, and I try to think of it like, you know, do you remember Dubstep? <laughs> but, yeah, that was a thing, wasn't it? it was a huge thing, a massive thing. Like, I, I think it was like maybe 2011 or 12 when like yeah. there was so everyone, was, everyone was listening to dubstep dubstep was coming into metal dubstep was going into like, like just everywhere. It was like, and then it kind of died off and went away and you know, we go back to our lives and what we like. Um, I think maybe in a way metal had that, well, the, the scene let's say I, I shouldn't say metal cause it'll never die. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, but the scene in which we knew it with those sorts of like core bands and those kind of like floor youth center shows that were packed out. um, It had its time where it was like hype level, um, you know, popular, all the kids at school wearing the shirts and everything had that time. But now what I think is happening is there is definitely 110% without a doubt, a resurgence of, um, the scene, let's say, and the bands that are in it, because it's there's no longer, you know, 5,000 bands that all sound the same, with like a handful of, you know, unique ones that that break away and, and do huge things, like say Parkway or whatever. It's like the only bands that are in this scene now that are playing shows to only 150 people are running rings around 90% of those bands. in back in the day, their music is so much more engaging and entertaining and I, I can't, I, I just can't like there's a laundry list of bands that are around at the moment that, are, that you know, that you wouldn't say uh, as popular as those bands back then that are just so much better. Mm. Like that yeah, are no. such fantastic music. And I think what's happening with, especially with labels like Grayscale Records, bringing more of like a community approach and more of like a approachability back to metal. It's no longer about metal being like, um, this kind of like pop, pop, pop scene for, mm. for, for hardcore bands. It's, it's what it is. It's like metal shows a metal is a tight meat community. That's what it is. It's for people that like this sort of music um, and it's kept alive by the fans of this music. And I think what's happening with at the moment is that you've got labels like Grayscale and you've got bands that are doing great things like Pride Lands, dumb Diamond Construct, Alpha, Wolf. fucking the list is endless doing really amazing unique well-produced music is that this scene's getting stronger and it's getting it's coming back and it's becoming a place where people want to go out to shows again where people want to start listening to local bands because local bands are writing the best music it's just come down to that i think
0: yeah i think you, you hit the nail on the head my only worry nowadays compared to um, back in those early 2000s is the live venue situation. I, for me, I think that's mm. the only worrying thing for bands now. I definitely agree. Some of these new bands are just fucking, the standard is far superior. Like we did mm. have a lot of these heyday bands, but you go back and you listen to it or you see the live footage and go, it wasn't actually that good. It was just the fact that yeah. it, was, <laughs> you know, it was really sloppy metalcore. But there was just yep. two hundred people in the room. Um, yeah, yeah. But what do you think needs to be done about the live venue aspect? Because you know, I'm, I'm no longer in Melbourne, but I know from mates that are still in Melbourne that it's kind of starting to struggle. There's there used to be a lot of venues you could play at, and now it's kind of dwindling down to just a handful. Yeah, um, oh,
1: that's that's really a question that I can't I can't even come at answering. It's something maybe Ash Hole would.
2: <laughs> um, no, yeah, well, know
1: a bit more about
0: well the, we used to have all ages shows where's the all ages show gone that seems to have died in melbourne
1: well i think it's yeah it's it's died because it's it's so expensive to put on, on an all ages show and i don't know what the culture is like in high schools anymore for metal fans and i feel for kids that like metal because there isn't really Many venues or there isn't many shows for them to go and see when they're under the age of eighteen. So only kind of you know it doesn't really cultivate you know a culture of heavy music fans in high school, which is where most of them I think came from. Which is where like the like you know the waves of people going from school to playing bands came from was like this heyday of you go to school, start your school band, and then you, you you leave school and whatever else. It's no longer about that. I think it's just too just from. An outsider's perspective, it's probably just too expensive to put on all ages shows that 20, 30 kids rock up to. Whereas you could put on a show, you know, at a pub in Fitzroy and doesn't cost the band a thing besides a minimum of 250 bucks and $2 a head. Mm. And it's, you know what I mean? They can pack the room out with 200 bucks and make a, you know, make a bit of profit and, and move on the next major city where they're only going to pull 200 depending on the band of course um i think that's what i think that's what's happening it's like the the venues at all ages venues are just too expensive
0: i also think it's good to see that more bands are kind of sticking with it because i know we were having a period also in australia where a lot of bands would you know have a go at it and then break up after a couple of years so it's also good seeing bands that know what the industry is like nowadays and this leads me Mm -hmm. to the last question before we wrap things up as an (laughs) as an artist and i've said that multiple times now um as an artist (laughs) um who sees the industry in many different ways not only from a creative aspect but also from the complete you know trying to make money aspect do you Mm. see the industry is in um a good state for a band as in like you can make money and make a success out of things you can reach people or do you think that it's all very much um odds are stacked against you you know because everyone knows how much you make off streaming Mm. so where where do you see it for a band in the industry nowadays
1: um i can only use my like myself as an example and maybe looking at other bands that i'm friends with because it's still even though the 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 veil's been lifted about a lot of things about how much a band often makes, and it's not a, it's not a great deal, um, it's, it's I swear, as Gravemind, is still a long way off, I think, turning Gravemind into a career where we're paid an income or we're paid an amount of money that goes directly back to us. Um, the It's all well and good for us. Like maybe we're at a point now where the money that we get from merchandise and touring can go back into say paying for the next album and we don't have to pay any money ourselves if we're lucky. Um, But it just depends on what you want to do for your release as well. Like we spend a lot of money on the videos, obviously you don't have to spend that much money on the videos. You don't have to spend that much money in the merch. You can be kind of, you can be a bit smarter with your money. Um, But the odds are most definitely stacked against bands for turning their music into a career like 100 percent, like it's just so fucking hard to make a product and like i hate like, as and i'm going to use your term i'm going to use your term now as an artist <laughs> i hate using um my the, like you know, our music or our art and calling it a product but th- there is a part of me i have to I have to indulge once the art once the art's done once the music's made and it's all the creative process is done that needs to get locked away i need to and you have to go into business mode and you have to look at your music as a product and you have to look at its ability to make you money because if you can't do that then you can't keep being an artist like you know someone's going to come knocking for a rent check that you haven't got like you have Mm to play the game in some aspect and when i look at the game it's well and truly fucked like it's it's quite hard i guess to make money but I think when you look at bands that are much bigger that are doing quite well, um, you look at your Northlands and your the Hiders murders, um, at that standard, let's say, th- they are making an income at least. They make like they're 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 paying themselves from their own band, which is the ultimate goal. But I think it's it's really hard. Like if you're in a band then you're at our level. That's just say there's, you know, a thousand in Australia that's just arbitrarily that are at our level. To be at the level you're paying yourself an income, whittle that down to to 10%, whittle that down to 100 bands that can tour the world and pay themselves an income and have that be their job. Like to even get to that point, I think is the odds are stacked against you, but it's still, I think it's still possible to make an income, but it's very hard and there's a lot of loss. And you're basically what you're doing even now is, Um, you're putting in money every single fortnight of your paycheck from the job that you work that you hate just so you can buy the merch to sell on the tour that you're going to lose $2,000 on anyway. (laughs) But you do it because it's fucking awesome and it's so much fun and it is ultimately rewarding when you have fans come up to you, people you don't even know, saying that they've listened to your music and they really enjoy it, like – know you can't put a price on that honestly i mean maybe maybe the rent is a minimum
0: but (laughs) that's kind of that's more than a price that's the the roof (laughs) over your head um yeah but you know that the 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 only thing you got to say there is right on the uh, nail on the head there but also anyone listening support your you know bands you care about you know buy a t-shirt you know buy a cd whatever it is it you know yes you can get it on your streaming device but if you help out a band and just buy one thing a hat whatever it is uh, that mm. just means probably more to a band than you realize so it it's vital you support the band so that they can keep going and eventually reach the level of a Northlane or a Thy
1: art you know it's important um absolutely absolutely and i think um you know that's if you're a band and you're listening to this then you need to you need to find a way to make your merchandise something that people want to buy like you have Mm. to make sure your music's good first and foremost which is a really hard thing to do I especially know that being a poser when I was in high school (laughs) um and I think you should try and find ways to make your physical merchandise you know give it something special like um give it something that makes people want to go out and actually buy it um not saying put a hidden track on every record you do and just copy us but um there's a there's a myriad of things you can do that makes buying a physical release, shelling out 20 bucks when you could have spent nothing, um, something that you actually want to do. And you actually have to do that. If you're in a band, you have to make sure that your, you know, your audience wants to spend their money on you. And I don't know, that's the hardest thing to do really.
0: It is. It is. But I mean, the gravy boys are doing it. So start, start learning uh, other people. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> right. We wrap things up with a segment called pick your poison. Now this is going to be fun. It's going to make or break mm-hmm. you. Okay. What we're going to do is we're going to ask you to pick your favorite of two options and some are going to be easy. <laughs> some are going to be hard, but it's going to let everyone know what really makes Dylan tick. Okay. Oh God. Right. Now, would you rather a pizza or a burger? Burger. Okay. Would you rather a soft taco or a hard taco?
1: Hard taco. Oh,
0: you just, you. I love this. Just, Really distinct, no doubts about Mm -hmm. it. Um, Smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter?
1: Crunchy peanut butter. Okay. (laughs) God damn.
0: Uh, Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Indian takeaway. Okay. Cooking at home or dining out? Dining out. (laughs) Watching a movie at the cinema or on your couch? Cinema. Okay. Would you rather go to the beach or go to the snow? Beach Would you rather a PS4 Or an Xbox
1: <laughs> Thanks Okay there goes half the people Listening to us They're going to throw their shit out um, Xbox
0: Okay Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter
1: Mortal Kombat Hand down
0: Okay Grand Theft Auto or Red Dawn
1: Grand Theft Auto Okay
0: Assassin's Creed or Metal Gear Solid
1: Metal Gear Solid,
0: yeah, love it. The <laughs> oh passion, God. the passion. Um, next one, I don't know. I think this is this will probably be the hardest one I'll ask you. Halo uh-huh. or Doom?
1: Oh, Doom.
0: Oh, well, Doom. Didn't, didn't seem that that hard. Um, cat, cat or dog? <laughs> cat. Terminator or Predator?
1: Oof. Hmm. Oh, fuck. Terminator for the movies, credit the for the comics.
0: Okay. Uh Jason Bourne or James Bond?
1: Uh Bond. Uh Daniel Craig Bond, I think.
0: Okay. Rambo or Rocky? Rambo. Okay. Uh South Park or Simpsons?
1: Uh, Simpsons, yeah.
0: Alright. Uh, Slayer or Pantera?
2: Slayer. <laughs>
1: <I'm>
0: sorry. <laughs> slayer slayer. Cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder?
1: Uh Black Dahlia.
0: Suicide Silence or Whitechapel?
1: Fuck. Oh, uh Suicide Silence.
0: Offspring or Green Day?
1: Um Oh, it's hard. Green Day's got more douchey songs. Um <laughs> oh, do, oh, do they? Do they? Um They're
0: pretty pretty even on that. They're pretty even. They're pretty even. Pretty
1: even. Uh Green Day, yeah.
0: All right, last couple. Would when you're playing live, do you prefer to see stage dives going on or do you want a mic grab going on? <laughs>
1: Oh, it's so hard because sometimes the the mic grabs you get are so funny. Yeah, they're um, inaudible sometimes.
0: <laughs> you go to a show and there's the mic grab and it's like, oh, it's not even the lyrics. What's going on here?
1: Yeah, yeah. I've been and I've been a perpetrator of that as well. I've done when I was younger, I did <laughs> mic grabs and I just, I just like just made up words and oh god, there's like a. I'm not even going to tell you the band. There's there's definitely a video online somewhere of me giving a mic grab. And I'm not even like, I've just (laughs) gone. So for the sheer hilarity of it, I'm going to say mic grabs. Now, when you
0: go to watch a show, do you watch it from the mosh pit or do you watch it from the sound desk?
1: Oh, good question. Depends on the band. Depends what state I'm in. Most likely, um, just just behind the uh, mosh pit So I'd say close to the sound desk yeah.
0: Okay, there's two left Now would you rather to tour for the rest of your life Or record for the rest of your life
1: Record, I think record
0: Okay, now the last one is the only triple one Would you rather okay. own an album on CD, vinyl or on your phone
1: Oh, um like, in terms of owning it and it being mine, mm-hmm. vinyl, hands down. Yeah, i spent too much money on vinyl. So the vinyl. Yeah, I'm a bit guilty in the
0: vinyl and CD. It's, um, yeah. So
1: do you, do you have your Grave Mine records on vinyl or CD? Both. Both. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. That's it my hat to you. Yeah, a, eh, the wife doesn't like it. She thinks I'm collecting pointless things but they're not popular. <laughs> she she goes, <laughs> she goes, look at all these things that you don't even use. I say, yeah, but I collect them. Like, look at them. They're nice. They're pretty. Yeah. You look at them. That's what
1: you do. I'm literally sitting in front of, I don't know, a hundred DVDs and video games, if not more. And I, I can't remember the last time I pulled one off the shelf and played it, but goddamn, spinning around in my office chair and looking at it. Oh, it's the best, isn't it? Like it you're is. A collector, that's, that's
0: uh, my, Ooh. my, you know, room where I do all of this is, you know, also where my PlayStation is and, you know, there's the wall of CDs. It's like 3000 something CDs. I don't use them. I don't use them anymore, but they look so good. And they're organized exactly how I want them to be organized, which doesn't make sense to anyone else but me. Um, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. As, you, as you
0: said earlier, being a metalhead is being a nerd. And fuck, yeah. It
1: absolutely is. So you, I got one more question for you before we wrap up then. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you file alphabetically? No. Okay. One more then. Do you, <laughs> if, there's a, if, there's a, if there's a, let's say, the Amity Affliction, would you file that under A or T?
0: Um, no, the way I file, well, if I was uh-huh. going to file alphabetically, that would go A. But the way, I, the way I collect and put my collection up, and it's with vinyl and with the CDs, goes mm. off preference of how much I really love the band. So, awesome, yeah. So yeah. on my left-hand side is my metal and, you know, deathcore and stuff. And then on my right-hand side is all my hardcore and punk now on my wall. Yes. So on the hardcore, in the top level, you've got your terrors, your mad balls, your hate breeds but then when nice. you come down the bottom I still like the bands but down the bottom is like the bane you know hoods uh cruel hand they're down the bottom doesn't mean I don't like them but when mm. I want <clears throat> to grab a CD real quick I want my favorites up the top so it's very
1: strange that's uh, absolutely I've got my CDs stacked the exact same way it, what yeah. yeah just my CDs they're stacked in order of influence yeah. in my life I think. So, the Iowa at the top, Slipknot Iowa, nice. Renegades, R- Rage Against the Machine, Northlane Singularity, Bringing the Rise in the Suicide Season, My Chemical Romance Black Raid, Tool Lateralis, Oof. Hate by Vardas Murder, and then Alpha Wolf um, Mono. Fuck yeah. Nice. Oof. <laughs> Um, there you go that might have been someone's interview question in the future i totally just stole it from them very sorry
0: no I love it um, <laughs> I just gotta say Dylan uh, really yeah, thank you for not only putting aside the time but taking the time to chat it was in depth it was fun um, and I'm glad I finally got you on and I love what you guys have been doing uh, keep doing what you do and you know much love much respect and much appreciated brother
1: Thank you very much, Judy. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. I can't wait to to hear this go up. I think this is going to be like this sort of format and the way you handled the interview is fantastic. And it really does um, help our band as well. Like you taking the time to do this is a, a massive help for us. So thank you very much, man, for taking the time out of your day to do this.
0: So that was my chat with Dylan from Gravemind and at the end there you heard the band's tracks Phantom Pain you also heard the track Reveal and the last track you heard there was Vox Populi. All of those tracks come off the band's absolutely barnstorming sensational fucking debut album titled Conju. Now's the part of the show where I spark that excitement in you guys and spark that little notion in your mind that you need to support the artists we've had on the show so you need to get into grave mind if you haven't already you need to support Dylan and the guys in grave mind and support one of the best fucking bands to come out of Australia without a doubt get onto this band now before they blow up so big that everyone will be talking about, and they will be talking about this band if they're not already. Get into them. Go online, stream the music. Go on to their online store and buy a T-shirt. Try and buy a vinyl. Go onto eBay. Buy a physical. Whatever it is you've got to do to support Dylan and the boys, do it today. Also, if you're in Australia and you see these guys touring somewhere near you, get down to a show you will never be disappointed with a Grave Mind live performance. Also got to take this moment to thank Dylan again. Thank you so much, dude. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. And definitely look forward to catching up soon and possibly doing a part two conversation. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 81, done, dusted, all wrapped up locked away for this week guys if you're a first-time listener thank you for tuning in i hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes if you're a regular listener thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks this time of the show is when i remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners so If you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about The Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh news and Mosh reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at the Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.